You're listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that came out last year. And today, we've got a very special episode for you. This is a bonus-sized episode. We're recording this on the day of the Oscar nominations for 2021. And uh, we're going to go through all of the categories except the shorts. We're not going to do those ones today. We're going to just go through all the categories say our thoughts on the different categories, and uh, see, sort of evaluate the Oscars. There are very light spoilers for a lot of the movies in here. I think the only one that has heavy spoilers for it is Collective. Uh, I do warn you about that, and you can just skip ahead about two minutes and avoid all spoilers there. Also, I have very strong opinions on uh, how many songs from Eurovision should have gotten into the best original song category as nominations. So you're going to hear a lot of Eurovision songs. In fact, here's one now. This is Lion of Love. Love. Thousands tried to tame me, but I roam free. I saw you and you saw me It's a jungle out there so hold on tight You're about to see how I spend my night I'll be the king you wanted, you'll be the queen I need And on and on and on and on Let's get together, I'm alive Welcome to a very, very special episode of Classic Movies Live. On the last episode, you would have probably heard us say that the next episode is going to be, I want to say Malcolm and Marie. That is still true. Whatever the next episode that we announced was is going to be the next episode. But we are recording this on the day of the Oscars nominations being announced. We're going to talk about those. This, uh, this is the Oscars once a year. We got to talk about it at least once. I'm guessing we're probably going to end up talking about the Oscars for dedicated for two episodes. Maybe we'll come back right after the actual event. I tend to get very drunk during the Oscars, so that might be fun. (laughs) Pierre, did you see these nominations? I have seen a few of them, not as many as you, but I hope to see them all before the year ends. That's also good information, but I actually just meant like, did you see what was nominated? Oh, yes, I did see what was nominated uh, very, very recently, as in like 10 minutes ago. So they announced these nominations at 515 local our, our local time. Yeah, uh, I was up at five o'clock brushing my teeth and getting ready to watch the nominations. <laughs> and like we'll go into our exact thoughts in a couple of minutes. Generally, I think that. These nominations are pretty wild. Honestly, I think this is kind of one of the most exciting Oscars races that I've ever been interested in. But with the caveat that there are no, there's not really any movie here that I'm like 
extremely passionate about the way I was about Parasite last year. Yeah, I um, I personally do not really care that much about the nominations this year, just because like, yeah, it's been a slow year. Um, a lot of the movies I was excited for this year really kind of threw me off and stabbed me in the back. <laughs> but um, like like stuff like Mank, for example, I was really excited for Mank this year. And well, you can keep being excited for it. It got ten nominations. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Is like one of the one of the movies I was most excited for this year ended up being crap, and then it still got nominated a ton for some reason. I'm not really sure, but I think that just kind of goes to show. For me personally, like what what the Oscars are, are kind of representing this year, if that makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, as, as much as I hate to admit it, like we have to, we have to accept two things: the Oscars do not necessarily honor the best movies that come out, <laughs> and more importantly, because taste is ultimately subjective. <laughs> like I don't, I know that I don't have the same taste as Oscar as most Oscars voters, because like my top three movies of the year which are now different than when we like in in our in our podcast at the end of the year are um nowhere to be seen on this list well one of them is but yeah unfortunately i don't know that's kind of a cop out to say right away but (laughs) i'm sorry to like bring the mood down like so early in the podcast but like yeah it's it's uh for me this isn't my favorite last because to be fair, last year was amazing. I was so excited for last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Holy um, crap, last year. Yeah, and it was quite a time. So, I mean, I, I guess it's uh, it's just unfortunate that it came off such a great year. To to sort of build off of those caveats I literally just said, what we're going to assume, here's going to be our base assumption for uh, the rest of this podcast, of this episode anyway. Pierre is the foremost movie expert in the world, and his opinions are objective <laughs> truth. Therefore, if you think something shouldn't have been nominated, I can't even question it. That's just objective truth. Yes, thank you for pointing that out right before I shit all over the Oscars this year. Appreciate that. What? What? So uh, well, I don't know. What do we have first, Jeff? If you so want to get into it. I decided that uh, the way we should do these is we should do them in the order they're normally presented. The thing is, there isn't technically an order that they're normally presented in. So. We are going to talk about them in the order they were presented in last year, which is actually super cool. And I need to study this because like it builds up hype really well. It puts the technical categories that like people do care about, but not as much in, in really strategic places so that the, the hype categories are, are there to generate the most possible hype. And then like the slowest, I would assume at the slowest point of the night, that's when they brought out Eminem. I'm not 100% sure, but I think so. <laughs> Sounds about right, yeah. Oh, actually, no. Eminem was probably near original song, which is like the hypest point of the night because it came right after that was director, actor, actress, picture. I was going to, well, when was the last like best, what was the best Oscar performance that you remember? Oh my God, I usually don't watch them. Kind of like, uh, I've only like watched the entire Oscars the last two years. Before that, I would typically just like go online and look up the summaries. Mm. Oh, okay. The, yeah, the best Oscar perform. I mean, the best Oscars performance that I know of, if we're not counting Eminem, is I guess uh, Lin Manuel Miranda and the girl from Moana, because like that's the only one I remember. I don't really remember that one. I just remember Lin Manuel adding like a little rap before it, and I thought that was kind of cringy. I didn't love that. 
yeah, anyways. Sorry, Lynn. No, it's fine. You don't have to apologize. It's uh, it's objective truth. Oh, true. Let's yeah, talk about supporting actor. This is an actually really interesting category, but I'm going to read off the nominees first. Best supporting actor this year. We got Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7. We got Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. We got Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Paul Ratchie as from Sound of Metal. And Lakeith Stanfield also from Judas and the Black Messiah. My first question is, Pierre, have you seen these movies? Who's oh. your favorite? <laughs> what do you think is going to win? Uh, okay, I actually haven't seen these, like any of these, unfortunately. I saw Trial of Chicago 7 with you, obviously, or or we talked about it. Yeah. Um, so all I can say is I'm really happy Sasha Baron Cohen got nominated for Not Borat. I thought he was actually one of the highlights in this movie absolutely so i love that he got recognition for it and i'm i really do want to see judas and the black messiah now i didn't know like stanfield that is in it and um i've been watching him since uh he started in atlanta the show so um oh yeah and he had an amazing performance in that and i've, I've been following him ever since and he's always he's always done a really solid job in any role he's in so i guess my favorite here is sasha baron cohen because i saw that movie but my favorite my hopeful to win is like stanfield I mean, he's he's not actually my favorite in this category, but if Lakeith Stanfield could take this, that would be incredible. I would love that, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for um, sure. He deserves it. But just in general. I'm just writing down really quick because I'm gonna use that format for every single for every single one of these categories. So get ready. Have you seen them? What's your favorite? What do you think should win? And uh I'm gonna answer those questions myself now, actually. I have seen all these movies, and I think that my favorite, and it is very, very close, is Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. He was, like, legit one of my favorite performances of the year. Like, I'd put him in the top ten for sure. In supporting actor, as far as I'm concerned, there there actually is competition because Paul Ratchie in Sound of Metal is fantastic. And, like, if I had to pick a favorite between the two, I'd go Daniel Kaluuya, but... I, I'm honestly happy with anyone. I like all of these nominees. I'm happy with any of them winning. Mm. I would be most happy about Daniel Kaluuya or Paul Ratchie because they're my favorites or Lakeith Stanfield because he's like one of my favorite actors. Okay. That's a pretty solid... I I don't really know much about the, yeah, the other two guys, but... Um... I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see. I mean, there's like there's not this is this is one year. And there's not really any really big names in my opinion that that are there. Yeah, I would say the biggest name of those is probably Sasha Baron Cohen. But like, even he is a big. People know him more as Borat than as Sasha Baron Cohen, which is kind of why yeah. I'm really glad <laughs> he's nominated for this. Like you said, for something other than Borat. Yeah, he was a highlight. Cool. All right, moving on to... Hold on, I was also going to say, supporting actor, this is a really funny category this year. By the time this episode comes out, everyone who's interested will probably have already heard this, but like, in the film Judas and the Black Messiah, the the Judas, in, in quotes, is played by Lakeith Stanfield. The Black Messiah, in quotes, is played by Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, Since they're both up for supporting actor, this implies that neither Judas nor the Black Messiah is the lead actor of Judas and the Black Messiah, which is really funny to me. Oh, yeah, um, it's um, it's interesting. I heard it's unfortunate because it's very likely that they'll end up splitting the vote um, in the category. Yeah. And uh, 
someone else is probably gonna win so like it's it's honestly it's very much looking like a sasha baron cohen win which again i wouldn't i wouldn't mind actually but it would be unfortunate if Sasha Baron Cohen ends up taking it because they split the vote on Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think the reason this happened. So apparently, um, so the way that the Oscars typically work is like a studio will like submit a movie in multiple categories and like, you know, they'll submit these people for supporting actor, these people for lead actor. Daniel Kaluuya was submitted as supporting. Lakeith Stanfield was submitted as lead. However, uh, the Oscars does not require their voters to actually like adhere to those categories for acting categories. Yeah. And Lakeith Stanfield has a much uh, smaller role in the movie than Daniel Kaluuya. It just happens to be from his perspective. So, like, depending on who you are watching it, it is very easy to think that Lakeith Stanfield is more of a supporting actor. So, like, probably the reason this happened is that people got confused and said, Lakeith Stanfield, he's my pick for supporting actor. Daniel Kaluuya, he's probably a good lead. And Daniel Kaluuya can't get both because the Oscars specifically banned someone getting nominated in two categories for the same performance. (laughs) So they just both ended up pretty unfair. Yeah. It has, it has (laughs) apparently happened before. And the the first time it happened, they're like, this can never happen again. (laughs) I don't blame them. That's hilarious though. So like, that's the thing is they already split the vote to get into best supporting actor. Not unlikely they'll do it again. Yeah. And it's pretty likely. You want to tell us our next category? Yes. Sure. Sorry. Nominated uh, feature, I believe, right? I know. You just said nominated feature. That's a lot of them. Animated. Is it animated feature? Yeah, that's the one. Or is it short first? Is it short or feature? We're not doing shorts. We're going to ignore the shorts today. So, yeah, we have. Oh, God, I lost it. Do you have it? (laughs) Yeah, it's Onward, Over the Moon, Shaun the Sheep 2, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Did I sense some hostility towards uh, Shaun the Sheep 2? Shaun the Sheep 2 is one of the reasons... You said it weirdly. I don't know. I've heard Shaun the Sheep 2 is very good. But, like, Shaun the Sheep 2 is one of the only reasons... Is one of, like, five movies on this entire list I haven't seen. So I'm a little upset. Oh, okay. Because I'm a little upset that it's... I gotta go watch Shaun the Sheep now, which I did not anticipate getting nominated. And, like, I'm glad that apparently it's good. But I hate the animated feature film. I have such a love-hate relationship with this category in general because, like, it's my favorite category. And as far as I'm concerned, one of the best movies gets nominated. But, like, most of the nominations are just usually dog shit. <laughs> I mean, every movie that's... Or Sean the Sheep. What did that do? I mean, all of the movies that are in here are fine, at least. But the thing is, there are so many good, like such good animated features that came out this year that the Academy has access to, they can watch, and that just got completely ignored. Like my favorite movie, and I will, I'll I'll keep this very brief. My favorite movie for this animated feature film branch would be Ongaku, Our Sound, which is a rotoscoped anime from Japan that is like one of the weirdest anime movies I've ever seen. And it is incredible. Like it draws inspiration Mm. from Monty Python. It looks like one punch man. And it's about like idiots trying to start a band and they don't know any more than one note. And somehow that carries it for an entire hour. It's 
incredible. And like, not only is it not here, I doubt the Academy even saw it. But like, instead we've got Onward, which was fine. Over the Moon, which was fine. Shaun the Sheep, which I haven't seen. Soul, which will win and probably deserves it. Yeah. But unfortunately was nominated in the same year as Wolfwalkers, which absolutely deserves to win this award, just not against Soul. Yeah, this is a. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate that the animated feature films are usually overlooked, um, especially when I think some of these some of these movies could use more recognition, I guess, um, and the filmmakers behind them. Because I I feel like animated directors don't get enough. Like, if you get an if you if you make a, a solid animated feature, it's it's very rare that um that the the director gets like recognized. If that makes sense. Yeah, and like. One thing that I'm I'm not anywhere close to the first person to make this criticism, like best animated feature film, you can do so much with animation that this category means almost nothing. This is this is as broad as best picture, except that like it's the only category that animation can basically ever get in. Yeah, I I think it's kind of, it feels kind of outdated at this point. Yeah, and like to me, another point of contention is I didn't mind Onward and I really liked Soul. But like, if Disney releases a movie, it just gets in by default. Which is, I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind as much if there was any other studio that like had exerted any kind of control over this feature, over this branch. Because like, you know, there's Studio Ghibli, which does okay in here considering they're a Japanese studio. But when I say that, I mean, they've got only a handful of nominations, single digits for sure. And like, they have one single win ever. And then like, Studio Ghibli is only one of dozens at least of anime studios in Japan that could qualify here. And then of course, like we always have other international stuff. There is an Indian movie submitted this year that uh, Netflix will be releasing in a couple of months. So... It would have actually also been very difficult for me if that was nominated because I wouldn't be able to see it, but could have been cool. Mm -hmm. There's so much animation out there that like, and like, I feel like the Academy treats this branch as whatever my kids saw the kids choice award, like voted on by 80 year old dudes, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. For this one. I will probably say Soul, obviously. I think it's the superior Pixar movie, and Disney always wins these, unless there is, uh, like, uh, other than in the rare occasion where, like, you have a, an outright amazing animated feature, um, like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse basically won last year, and it was still, like, like a kind of an upset, if that makes sense, in terms of, like, what people were expecting, even though a lot of people thought it was 100% mm-hmm. the best animated feature. And, and like the extent of how amazing that movie was, it just kind of speaks of itself and like, and what you need to be Disney at their, yeah at their game. Um, I mean, I think that's the worst thing about this, uh, about these nominations for me too, is like soul is one of the best movies that Pixar has put out at least in 10 years, possibly ever. And like, I want it to win for that mm-hmm. reason. At the same time, I'm going to be a little miffed if it wins because it's like, oh, here goes the Disney award to the Disney again. And like, I don't want to feel yeah. that way about Soul. <laughs> that movie's incredible. Yeah, I get that. Let's move on to something that's less maddening. Sure. That <laughs> was triggering. Original screenplay, I believe, is next. And the nominees are... 
man. This this list. Is I'm gonna really send you the list that I'm looking at because it is much easier to navigate. Here, I'm gonna send you this. While okay, I am cool. doing that, I will list off the. Oh, I found it. Nominees. Oh, uh, we got Judas and the Black Messiah. We got Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Pierre, have you seen these movies? What is your favorite one of these? And what do you think is going to win? I've seen, damn it. Uh, I've seen Minari and The Trial of Chicago 7. Uh, I don't really think either of them showed especially... Oh, okay, actually, I... Oh, man. Trial of Chicago... Okay, you know what? I don't I don't really love either of these screenplays. I don't really have a favorite here. I, I feel like the three other movies, from what I've heard, seem much more interesting in terms of their stories and their screenplays, so I... I believe it'll be one of those. I don't think it would be Minari or The Trial of Chicago Yeah, 7. I gotta say for... The Trial of the Chicago 7 is a really well-written university theater piece. Like, it's it's so theatrical that, like, its characters seem extremely artificial, even though they aren't, because they're just, like, always monologuing. Uh, they have... They're, there's, they're, like, the most eloquent people in the world. Sasha Perrin Cohen brings it to that performance, but like the the script for that movie is good in a very, very like classical and very clean way. There's nothing interesting about it. It's based off a historical thing too. So for me, it it's still lacking like uh, originality that I feel like these other Yeah, Minari offer. is very good. I wouldn't be sad if it won. I think it's very. I, I think it's you know a good contender there. Definitely earns its nomination, but I think I agree with you that the other three are they're they're the big money here. This is where it's at. Judas and the Black Messiah is also historical. However, it's just like it's it's really well written. It's really cool. It's just a very good screenplay. We're gonna talk about Judas and the Black Messiah very soon, probably. So. I feel like I won't go into it too much. Also, I don't know how much I can really say on the screenplay there. Sound of Metal mm. is... I would love it if Sound of Metal won because Sound of Metal is a movie about a person going deaf. And so, like, the specific screen... The specific, like, script challenges that requires uh, make it... And the fact that it still pulls that off to the degree of it is one of the best pictures of the year is, like really really cool to me that says like that's definitely an excellent screenplay and like you know to me as an untrained profession as an untrained amateur i guess promising young woman is you're gonna hear me say this a lot today promising young woman i think is the most like it's it's the most best picture we have on this list i think because like it's not like super indie but it is like really interesting to the point where it's weird because it like hits that sweet spot that you always want Oscar movies to hit that kind of that, that Parasite did as well, where like people will go to see this movie because it's a really, really good movie and everyone gets it. Like it's it's not hard to understand. It's like a really cool mainstream movie that's also just like really good and has incredible performances and everything. It is also a really neat concept that I've never seen done in this way before. Like it's a revenge movie, but it's such a weird twist on revenge. Yeah. Like, I mean, after seeing it, it's so natural. I'm surprised I've never seen it before, but I have never seen it before. And not only that, it's also executed again in such a way that it is hands down one of the best movies of this year. 
promising mm. young woman would definitely be my pick for original screenplay. Okay, I see you. Okay, next, best adapted screenplay. That's not the next one, but we can do that oh. anyway. Let's talk about best adapted screenplay, because it's right there. We got Borat, subsequent movie film, delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make-benefit once-glorious nation of Kazakhstan. The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, The White Tiger. It was very important that I said the entire title of Borat, because if you were watching the nominations, every single time Borat was nominated for anything, Priyanka Chopra said the entire title of the movie. (laughs) <laughs> and for adapted screenplay, she said the entire title of the movie and also listed off every single writer, which is Sasha Baron Cohen, Anthony Hines, Dan Swimer, Peter Bainham, Eric Rivinoya, Dan Mazur, Jenna Friedman, and Lee Kern, with a story by Baron Cohen, Hines, Swimmer, and Nina Pedrad. Yeah, that's a lot of people. It was really funny watching these nominations. What do you, what do you think? Have, what have you seen? What's your favorite? What do you think's going to win? I will be pretty... I'll honestly be pretty upset if Borat wins. Uh, Nomadland 2, I think it'll be pretty lame. Uh, these other three movies, I haven't even heard of One Night in Miami or The White Tiger, so no comment. Um, the Father, you have told me, is very good. But yeah, again, the movies I have seen here, I do not think uh, should win. So here's going to be our first major disagreement. It's going to come to blows. Pierre, I want you to come to my house right now. I'm going to fight you, okay? (laughs) For what? Because I don't like Borat. No, no. Uh, So like of these movies that I've seen here, my favorite movie is probably The Father. My second favorite on here is The White Tiger. My favorite screenplay and the one I think should win is Nomadland in this case. Oh, why? And here's the reason why. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Because, like, when it comes to best original screenplay, we're looking for a cool story, right? That's what I'm looking for. I want what weird creative nonsense could you come up with that somehow you made work on screen? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. With best adapted screenplay, I'm looking for, like, you took some source material and did something really cool with it. Borat does not fit that criterion. I think it's cool, but like, I don't understand how it's really adapted. So good on them for getting nominated. That's awesome. With Nomadland, Nomadland is based on a book that's just like a journalistic piece working on about like American nomads. There is a story there, but they went, but instead of like adapting the story from this journalism piece, they like went with basically a completely original story and then like made sort of a mood pe- made a mood piece out of it that like is also about the same thing but is almost as much a work of journalism as the original book i have to assume was i mean in as far as like in, in as, as close as it could be like nomadland is a work of fiction but like the way that chloe zhao makes works of fiction it's as close to a documentary as you could be without like trying to become a documentary and i think it's just a really cool concept for a movie that i agree i didn't love in most respects but the adapted screenplay is where i specifically love that movie Hmm. that's that's i kind of see what you mean okay you do not have to agree i I do not agree (laughs) okay and because you don't agree it is objective truth that nomadland has a horrible adapted screenplay (laughs) So here's, yeah, I, so by extension, 
I have trash taste. I'm going to own that. I just, for me, it's like, uh, if anything, Nomadland was the vibe, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the dialogue and the story was, for the most part, non-existent. Um, and I think the few parts of dialogue that were interesting were more, not really the screenplay, I'm guessing, but more the the people telling them, if that makes sense. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's why I, I personally wouldn't pick it. But Yeah, I get it. For me, the... For me, like, the way I see these categories, original screenplay, the operative word is screenplay. Adapted screenplay, the operative word is adapted. And, like, I am looking for a cool adaptation, which is what I thought Nomadland was in this case. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I actually just didn't write down adapted screenplay, so I am sorry for chastising you earlier. You were right. Cool, because I, I was reading the list you posted too. Oh so my I was goodness! Like, oh. I I have no attention span. We should know this by now. This is fair. Uh, best live action short is next. Um, have you seen any of these? No, so yeah. I was gonna be very silent. All right, you know what? Since we brought it up, everyone should go watch the letter room. And now let's move on to the next thing. Best costume design. Uh, so costume design. Oh man, I'm gonna read off our nominees. Let's see what we got here. We got Emma. And the thing I love about this movie is that every time that it's written on Wikipedia, Emma is written E-M-M-A period. They never forget the period. The punctuation in that name makes it. Perfect. Best punctuation in a motion picture. Anyway, we got Emma. We got Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. We got Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. Pierre. Which of these have you seen? Which is your favorite? Oh. Which do you think should win? Oh. Uh, I've seen Marini's Black Bottom and Mank. I've seen the trailer for Mulan. <laughs> if that counts. I don't really have uh, any favorites. Yeah, I, I think I could get a, a glimpse of like the costume design. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, honestly, I think Mulan's actually going to win. Maybe Emma? Possibly? I, I need to... It's because usually these period pieces are what picks up that... I mean, a lot of these are period... These are all period pieces. I take that back. <laughs> to at least some degree, all of these are period pieces, with the possible exception of Pinocchio, which is a period fantasy. Yeah, I will say Mulan is probably going to win, though. I don't think anything in Mank really stood out, I thought. Yeah, and everything in that movie was kind of lame. Uh, Marini's Black Bottom, I thought it was pretty basic. Honestly, the costuming felt like a play, just like everything else in the movie. So not like it was all right, but mm. not amazing. I haven't seen Emma, but it seems like the type of movie that would win best costume design. Yeah. Uh, and Mulan. But yeah, I, I, I think it's probably going to be Mulan, honestly. Uh, from what I saw in the trailer, their costuming did look pretty interesting. I think this one is going to go to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or Emma. And as far as I'm concerned, like in, in my eyes, both of those are like very worthy. Although I, I understand what you're saying about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, like it was just period, but also like play costuming because that's exactly what it was. I'm like, that makes sense to me. Like, I can't, I can't really say anything against that, but I liked it. This is not going to be the one where I freak out about this sh- this movie. So, but but get ready, Pinocchio was very good in this respect. I would be very happy <clears throat> if it went to Pinocchio. This is not where Pinocchio cool. shines. I think it'd be funny to see. Uh, traditionally what is seen as a disney movie picking up a an, an oscar uh, i think disney would actually hate that like a lot disney would hate this pinocchio a lot this pinocchio is gruesome it's crazy oh is it dark it's it's pretty dark well, 
Well, if I had to guess, the new Pinocchio is going to be dark too, with Del Toro directing. Well, that's not the Disney think... one though, because there's two Pinocchios coming out this year. There's Wait, the there's Del Toro one other... from Netflix, and <laughs> and then there's Geppetto oh. with Tom Hanks. That's the Disney one. Oh, I see. I'm, yeah. I have a feeling the Disney one's going to bomb. Honestly, I don't see that taking off. I honestly think it's just going to be a Disney Plus original. Probably. And in that respect, it might be okay because, like, I, when I watch things on Disney Plus. Typically, with some exceptions, I judge them mostly on how they play out versus, like, I don't know, TV movies. Mm-hmm. Like, That's fair, yeah. If if Cruella was announced was originally announced as a Disney Plus movie, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's that looks fine. The fact that it's announced for theaters, I'm like, this is some of the most stupid nonsense I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, it still is extremely silly. I yeah, but we'll see I it. Can, can Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I actually uh, want to see it, come to think of it. Let's talk about production design. Yes. We have The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet. And uh, this one, I, I've i seen Tenet, Mank, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. From those three, I would say Tenet should win. From those three... My pick would be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because I think it's just a really well-executed play when it comes right down to it. But I would Mm. say within this category, my pick is The Father because the production design in that movie is kind of what makes the movie. Um, Oh, okay, cool. We're going to talk about The Father on the next episode that we record. I don't know if that's... I think that won't be the next episode that people hear. But Mm. uh, the father is about it, it's about a character who is uh, experiencing memory loss. And so the production design is never the same twice. And like, it's super subtle because, you know, he's, he's been in his house however many years he knows how his house looks, but like it never, and things are never quite where he expects them to be. And yeah. so like the production design is constantly changing And the thing is, you don't even notice it, or I didn't even notice it until like halfway through the movie. And by Mm. the time I figured it out, I'm like, oh my God, where was that painting before? Or was there a painting there? Et cetera, whatever, that stuff. The production design makes that movie. So I would really hope that the father takes it. Um, Okay, moving on to best uh, documentary. Have you seen any documentaries this year? (laughs) All right, I'm going to read out our features. We got Collective. We got Crip Camp. We got The Mole Agent. My Octopus Teacher, and Time. This is actually kind of an interesting category for me. So I have seen all of these. Uh, If I had to rate them, my personal rating, I would put The Mole Agent at the top. I'd put Collective right after. Uh, Probably Crip Camp. Uh, I didn't like it very much, but it is very good. Uh, Then I would put Time. I thought Time... I understood why Time is good. And I think it is a topical thing that is probably... It's an important subject. Uh, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was a not a good movie. And then My Octopus Teacher right at the bottom, because this is the meme nomination for this entire Oscars. My Octopus Teacher is so bad, I have no idea how it got here. It is beautiful footage, but it's a dude basically like simping over this octopus for an enti- for an hour and a half and like he's projecting so hard onto this octopus that I don't know how he didn't kill it through that. Like, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he finds this octopus. He says at the beginning of the movie, he's like, I was not a good, f- I, I wasn't being a good father to my son and I fell into a deep depression. So I wanted to be a good father to my son. That sounds like the plot of the movie, doesn't it? 
That gets ignored for an hour and a half. He goes, I thought I would go into the ocean and find an octopus. So he finds this octopus and he's like, this thing is fascinating. And then he just like starts trying to interpret what this octopus is doing while it's living its octopus life. And he harasses it every single day, just like observing it from a distance with a camera. And he thinks like it's his friend. And he starts like trying to think like an octopus, except he's not thinking like an octopus. He's thinking like an idiot. And, like, he's just constantly, like, I think he falls in love with this octopus and thinks the octopus seems the same. But it's just, like, he's this big (laughs) human man molesting this octopus day after day. And, and like, he just won't leave this thing alone. And then eventually he gets attacked by sharks. And he's like, I thought about stopping the sharks. But that would be interfering. I'm like, dude, you're already interfering in this thing's life. It knows nothing about the world except this big freaking human dude. Who won't leave him? Who won't leave her alone? You have lived her entire life with this. You've lived the entire the octopus's entire life with this octopus, just so that you can make a stupid movie that's supposed to be about you reuniting with your son, and your son makes two cameo appearances. What are you doing? <laughs> Honestly, after watching this movie, I personally believe that the man who made this movie is one of my least favorite human beings on Earth. <laughs> the footage is great. Turn off the sound for My Octopus Teacher. Watch it. Incredible. Incredible footage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the winner of this movie, the winner of this category is going to be Collective, which is a movie about a really, like, the fallout from a, uh, a uh, nightclub fire in Romania that was like really bad. It was so bad. And I guess here's spoilers for collective. So if you're listening to this, this is historical, but skip ahead by like two minutes. The fallout from that nightclub fire was so bad. The entire government resigned. What the hell? Yeah. It's rough. Uh, and like, it's really good. Cause it follows like the journalists who reported on this fire, all of the stuff that they found out. And then a few people in the new government as they come in. And it's, uh, it's, it's really good. It's just a really well-made documentary. Personally, my favorite is The Mole Agent. I don't think this one is going to win or probably... I'm surprised it even got nominated. It's a movie about an old man in Chile. Uh, he's like 92 years old or something. And he is hired to become a spy in an old folks' home because uh, someone who's, whose mother is in the old folks' home suspects that they may be abusing people in the old folks home they are not but like it's just this wholesome show this wholesome movie about an old man like being a spy and it's really really cool like i just really enjoy that movie very wholesome very nice one of the just like best feel good movies on this entire list so we are about to get to the most exciting category. So here is a extremely brief musical interlude before we get to what I think is the most exciting category.
you ready to talk about supporting actress? Yes, sir. Here's uh, our nominees. Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Delivery of Prodigious Bribe to American Regime to For Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman for The Father. Amanda Seyfried for Mank. And Yeon Yu Jung for Minari. Go ahead. Tell us which ones you've seen, what your favorite is, who you think is going to win, any miscellaneous thoughts you have. Go. Finally, a category that I've seen a majority of the nominees. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, I'm the only one I haven't seen is The Father. So I don't know. Olivia Coleman is, is definitely an amazing actress, though. So like, I'm not going to count her out at all. I actually really liked uh, Yu Young Jung for Minari and Maria Bakalova. I think Glenn Close was amazing, but I just, I hate that movie so much that like, <laughs> I can't, I won't, I guess I won't be mad if she wins, but like, I don't think she, uh, I don't think it's necessary, but I feel bad. She did, she put in an amazing performance. I'm not going to lie. It was actually really solid. I just hate the movie. I guess if she wins, I won't be mad or anything. But Amanda Seyfried, uh, I don't really know why she's here, honestly. She didn't really do anything special, in my opinion. Uh, I, I'd say my favorite is, I can't really pick between Maria Bakalova and Yu Young Jung, though. So, yeah. What about you? I would say my thoughts are mostly similar. I think it's an extremely hot take to put Glenn Close over Amanda Seyfried, but I would also do that. But here's the thing. This is... Uh, you want to know the most exciting thing about this category? I'm sure that, like, if I remind you, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. But this is... What? The, the most exciting thing about this category. This is a showdown from two years ago. Do you remember the movie The Favorite? Yes. Olivia Coleman was amazing in that. Olivia Coleman won Best Lead Actress for that against the favorite... Against someone who was thought to be a lock that year. Glenn Close in The Wife. Whoa. <laughs> this is the this is the showdown. This is round two. That is kind of interesting. <laughs> Glenn Close versus Olivia Coleman. This is actually Glenn Close's eighth nomination, and she has never gotten an Oscar. And she got and Jeez. she got her eighth nomination for Hillbilly Elegy to come. And it just happened to be the same year that Olivia Coleman is in the same category. So yeah. I'm not gonna lie. She's Olivia Coleman is my third pick on this, but like. I would love it if Olivia Coleman won just because like of what that would do to Glenn Close. I hate to like wish misfortune on other people, but I think it would be really funny. That's that's fair. Personally, I agree with you that like I can't I can't really pick between Maria Bakalova and Yun Yu Jung. If I had to, I would pick Maria Bakalova because even though I think Yun Yu Jung was a performance that every time I think about it, I'm like, I liked that a little better. Maria Bakalova is one of very, very, very few purely comedic performances that's ever been nominated for an Academy Award. And also, like, she made that movie. She is the reason that Borat's subsequent movie film is worth watching. Or, like, not not the reason it's worth watching. As good as it is. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been worth watching without her, but, like, it would have been worth watching because it's the second Borat movie. Yeah. As, with Maria Bakalova, it's worth watching because it's a good movie. Yeah, I agree with that. It's um, I actually really hope she wins. Well, okay, yeah, it, it kind of goes both ways. I think I think she has a lot more potential for the future, but um, yeah, I, I think you 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 Jung uh, 
also was a really big part of why Minari yes. worked, in my opinion. She brought a lot of life to that to that dynamic. Um and uh yeah, so yeah, honestly either way I'll be I'll be happy. Um so it's a good category. Do you uh do you remember our, our parasite conversation way, way, way back? Like the, the parasite episode we did. That was before we were on Spotify, so maybe not all of our listeners will remember it. Yeah. Well, what about it specifically? In our Parasite episode, that was before uh, Parasite was... That was before Parasite won the Academy Award. I said that Mm -hmm. Parasite will become a classic movie that goes down in history and is notable if it wins an Academy Award. And it did. And, like, I don't necessarily think that the Academy Award is the only reason that movie is, like... I sincerely think that Parasite is going to be a movie people remember for decades. Like people are going to remember that movie forever, basically. And I don't necessarily think that's entirely because of the Academy Award. Like it's just a good movie. However, I think it's in large part because of uh, that Academy Award and the history that it made. And like, you know, it was the very first ever foreign feature to win an Academy Award at uh, for best picture, which is huge. And like, I mean, beyond that, it's very good, but I think with supporting actress, this is another place where I will make a similar claim. Maria Bakalova has a lot of potential for the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that that potential will absolutely be used if she gets the Academy Award. For sure. If she doesn't, I'm worried because she's a, she's a Bulgarian actress, I believe who like, has a lot of potential. She's incredible. But the thing is, if she gets the Academy Award, people will notice her in Hollywood a lot more than they already notice her now. Mm -hmm. The fact that she was in Borat 2 puts her on people's radars, but she'll fade back away unless she wins this award or gets in a lot of good movies really quickly. Yeah, because I especially like in a... I feel like uh, women in comedic roles, unfortunately, kind of get overlooked a lot of the time too. Yeah. Um, so this was this this would really legitimize her in the eyes of the public as like a an amazing actress in her own right, and like you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that would actually help her a lot in the future. So I agree. So I'm really rooting for Maria Bakalova, mostly because I think her career needs it the most of all of these people, and also of the two that I can't pick between, her winning is symbolically way better for me than Yoon Yoo Jung winning. Even though Yoon Yoo Jung winning is also a major thing because she would be, I think she's the first Korean actress ever nominated in an acting award. Yeah, I was going to say that's, it feels pretty special actually. It is very special. That's the thing is there's so much in this category. Like this is to me the category to watch. Mm -hmm. Also, like I got to say, I do want Amanda Seyfried to win an award at some point. Personally, I don't think this is, I think she, I think she did fine as Marion Davies, but like I just, cannot get over how weak i thought mank was and like i am going to watch it again here pretty soon you know reevaluate my opinion on it as i already said in our mank episode it it was very unfair for me to watch citizen kane and then mank i think amanda seyfried did well i don't think she did as well as any of these other people maybe not even glenn close and i don't like glenn close as much as you did in that movie but like i also did like her in that movie yeah, it's uh, definitely, it's probably one of the most interesting awards of the night. It's not the most, honestly, for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be cool. All right. Best sound. Let's talk about sound. 
What we do we got? got? Uh, Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Soul, Sound of Metal. I have not seen... I can't... Why is Mank there? I'm sorry. <laughs> That's kind of a joke, though. That's ridiculous. I don't even know. Mank probably had one of the worst like sound design slash mixing of like any movie I've seen for a while now, actually. So, yeah. I can tell you it won't be Mank. Or it shouldn't be Mank. I don't even remember Mank's sound very well, so I I agree. I don't know. I haven't seen Sound of Metal, so News of the World or Greyhound. So not much to say there. I will say I think Soul is looking like a really great pick for me, though. Soul had an amazing... Uh, actually, mm, now that I think of it... I liked the sound design in the spirit world. I think in the real life city environments, it actually kind of faltered. I thought the I thought the mix was pretty weird because everything else felt really quiet. Yeah, I can um, agree to that. Yeah. I think like Soul is another one where I can say, I think it deserves to be on the nominations. I don't know that that's a winner. Yeah. It sounds like Sound of Metal has a good chance of putting this though. I was I was waiting for you to pass things off to me because Sound of Metal, as far as I'm concerned, is like the clear winner. Like there's not even competition here. Yeah. Sound of Metal is the best sound design I've seen in any movie this year, possibly in any movie, certainly in any movie since The Artist. That's, we're done. That's it. It's cool. Sound of Metal. It has to be. Yeah. I mean, just for the pun alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Well, no, but like, uh, as I've already mentioned, Sound of Metal is a movie about a man going deaf. And like, the sound design is super important if you want to get that point across. And Sound of Metal nails it in every respect. One of those respects mm-hmm. is the sound. So there you go. Cool. Best film editing. We got The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal again, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. I'm going to start by saying I very, very rarely have strong opinions on things like editing. There's only one movie on this where I really noticed it that where it helped the movie. But aside from that, like, I'm sure these were well-edited movies. I am not a film editor. So unfortunately, I really, I, I personally have very, have a very hard time pitting them against each other. Like I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I personally, I don't think Trial of the Chicago 7 should win, honestly. I thought it was pretty poorly paced, and I thought the editing felt a little confusing to me. So I wouldn't put that there, personally. Nomadland, I, again, I thought I thought it was poorly paced. I, I don't think the editing was at all what made that movie interesting. So I'll strike that out to the other three I haven't seen, so I can't comment on them. Moving on? Uh, Well, no, I am going to briefly mention the movie that I said where I think the editing actually does make a difference. It's it's The Father. The Father deserves it, as far as I'm concerned, because, I mean, like I said with The Father, the production design makes the movie, and, like, everything about the making of that movie makes the movie, in a way. Because, like, Mm -hmm. it has to be edited in order, in, in a way that also communicates that memory loss. And it ends up working out. I wouldn't say that that's the reason that everything works out, but like you notice it because the editing also ends up playing a role. So I think mm-hmm. that the father has the most, I'm going to say active editing. And I think that's my favorite. I have heard, uh, and I have to rewatch it to make, to see if I agree that sound of metal is like an extremely strong contender in this category. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if Sound of Metal won. Pierre, I'm going to introduce what I hope is a category you have a lot of strong thoughts on. Uh, Let's talk about cinematography. Yes. For best cinematography, we have Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. What do you think, Pierre? I know you've Um, seen three of these. Yes, I have seen three of these. Mank, eh, I don't think, uh, they, they, they tried to go for the old format, black and white stuff. I don't think that added anything to the movie. I don't think they did anything interesting with the black and white format, um, with lighting and stuff. So I personally don't like it being here. Uh, Trial of Chicago 7, I remember us specifically talking about the cinematography being pretty lackluster. Very basic shot, kind of like. Um, a scriptwriter would film, <laughs> which is very, very straightforward shots and uh, not much, not many interesting things going on there. So again, I'm kind of surprised that's there. Nomadland, I'm not a huge fan of, but I will say Chloe Zhao and her cinematographer, who I think she's actually uh, in a relationship with this guy. Uh, it's her partner. Um, it, it is 100% one of her greatest strengths. She puts, I know she puts extra work into getting, uh, she always, she only films at, they call it the, uh, what is that? The, what, what is it? It's between, like, it's at sunset where, when you, golden hours, it's golden hours. Yeah, uh, so she specifically shoots at that time. So she puts a lot of effort and thought into making sure that she can get these really nice shots. And it's honestly probably the best part of Nomadland. Um, other than the genuine performances, so yeah, I will. I will say Nomadland is my favorite, but I have no idea. I think um, Sean Bobbitt could be interesting, though. He has he has some cool stuff in his cinematography. So I was actually going to say Sean Bobbitt to me is the only competition here. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, outside of Nomadland, Nomadland, I agree. The cinematography in that movie is really good like it's one of the movie's biggest strengths uh judas and the black messiah is such a cool movie to look at a lot a lot of the reason for that is like how things are framed how things are shot you know cinematography stuff i think that like as far as i'm concerned nomadland and judas and, and the black messiah like i'd be happy with either i just like judas and the black messiah more as a movie so i'm more i i, I honestly kind of just want that to win as anything that i think it's good in mm-hmm. uh i think nomadland takes this one and also i would say just on mank i would call mank's cinematography actively a hindrance to the movie from what i remember because I think that not only did it do nothing interesting with the black and white, I thought that what it did with the cinematography to some degree made the black and white itself less of an interesting or good choice. Oh, wow. Okay. Basic. The reason I say that, cause I feel like I can't make such a strong claim without saying, you know, at least something to that effect. Mm-hmm. It definitely felt like Mank was trying to, or that Mank like wanted to capture some of the magic of citizen Kane And so, like, it had references to Citizen Kane all the time, and it felt like the cinematography and the uh, and the black and white were supposed to be a reference to the way cinema, cinema, uh, Kane, uh, Citizen Kane was, you know, shot and made. But Citizen Kane, and this is this is my biggest weakness: is anytime I talk about Mank, I have to talk about Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane is like one of the coolest shot movies I've ever seen. 
And like, it does so many cool visual things that like don't even make sense in 1941, but works so well. And then Mank comes around and it's using techniques that are dated, but not even like 1941 dated. It's just like David Fincher doing some David Fincher stuff. And so like the fact that neither the black and white, the way it was used was interesting or like useful as a reference to to Citizen Kane nor the cinematography to me actively makes both worse. And like, maybe that's a really hot take, I guess, but like, I just, I don't like that movie. I'm going to need to talk about Mank again at some point, not necessarily a whole episode, but like, I need to watch that movie again and give it a real shot. Now that I've, now that it's been a few months since I last saw Citizen Kane. That's fair. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty rough back to back viewing or not back to back, but like, there's a lot of recency stuff going on there. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay, next up, we have visual effects. It's kind of a weird year because of the lack of big blockbusters, obviously. So Yeah, this is normally the Avengers category or the superhero yeah. category. Not <laughs> yeah. this year. We have the Love of, Monster, Love of Monsters, the Midnight Sky, Mulan, the one and only Ivan, and Tenet. I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's going to be Tenet or Mulan. <laughs> I hope it's Tenet. Uh, what I liked about Mulan was the visuals. I thought that it looked like very classic blockbustery, but it had colors that pop, which like is just a look that I like. Uh, honestly, if I was looking at it from a you know somewhat artistic viewpoint, it looked... If I'm going to put on my indie glasses here and be film snobby, I'm going to say... Mm. It looked pedestrian and honestly kind of trash. Damn. But if I take those off and I put on my, like, I like movies goggles, I liked it a lot. I liked the look of it. It's part of what made it worth, it's, it's part of what helped me sit through it because it's an awful, awful movie. Interesting. So both goggles have me disliking Mulan, but one of them does at least say that it's fun to look at. Yeah, uh, from the trailer, <laughs> it looks cool too, so... I'll say Tenet. For, I'd say Tenet personally. Um, yeah. 100%. I thought Tenet was actually one of the most interesting, uh, had some of the most interesting visual effects I've seen for a while. And it's unfortunate that the movie was received as it was. I think like um, it like it had visual effects rivaling like uh, Inception almost. Um, a lot more subtle for sure. But I think the, the work was there. It's just, you know, the... The story was not there, so I don't. I think it's going to be overlooked a lot. When it comes to visual general. effects, like Tenet was one of Christopher Nolan's. Like, I'm not gonna. I don't know if I can say his best, but it is a very good movie for visual effects for Christopher Nolan. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, Tenet is my favorite in this category easily because just you know shots of things going backwards that aren't supposed to is it's cool they're really cool <laughs> and like they're not just shot they're they're actually shot in a way where it looks the way that it would if you were like rewinding something i don't i don't even yeah. really know how to explain it properly but like yeah. it feels like the easy the cheap way to shoot a car driving backwards would be to like get a stuntman to drive the car backwards and the way tenant does it that's probably an element of it, but the way that the car moves is in a way that it's definitely driving forwards. It's just reversed. And the way that that mm. interacts with the world doesn't make any sense to my brain. And I love it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, one of those rare instances where I definitely say visual effects 
helped make the movie itself Mm -hmm. for sure like usually like avengers and stuff it's like it's implied that it's like in the movie right yeah tenets tenets was an intricately part of it and helped make it better even though it was still ass i am going to uh point out a one one thing in this category, one notable snub. There's a documentary feature called Welcome to Chechnya, which was not, which didn't end up getting any nominations. It would have been my personal pick for best documentary feature. It's about the horrible human rights abuses that are going on in Chechnya against gay people. Anyway, it was shortlisted for visual effects. And the reason why is they actually came up with a very novel way of using deepfake technology to hide people's appearances for documentaries in real time. And like, it's really cool. As I'm watching the movie, the visual effects, as far as they look, are impressive in how subtle they are. I would have absolutely been all for Welcome to Chechnya being the winner of Best Visual Effects had it been nominated, mostly just for what it represents to documentary filmmaking. Because I think this is an important technique that like is going to end up being useful forever. Once again, to, to just sort of bring up the name of our show here, in my, in my mind, that does to some degree make Welcome to Chechnya a classic movie. Hmm. Unfortunately, Welcome to Chechnya is not on this list. So there's my, is that my second honorable mention of the day? I think it is, after the letter room. So there you go. Two honorable mentions from Jack. That's cool. Yeah. I actually need to watch this movie now. That actually sounds... I'm, I'm going to need you to introduce the next category because I'm going to go off. Sure. Uh, <laughs> now I'm scared. Oh, oh, where is it? Uh, makeup and hairstyling is the next Oh, one. hell yeah. There is no contest here. Easily the best is the one that I'm going to read off last, okay? Here's, okay? here's the nominations for makeup and hairstyling. Emma, period. Very good. Period piece. <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy. Let's be real. I barely even recognized Glenn Close. So Hillbilly Elegy, I'm going to say it, probably sure. the winner. I don't love that because of what we're going to get to, but it's good. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, very play-like. Honestly, I just love that kind of stuff. I would not be ha- I wouldn't be upset if it wa- if it won. Mank. Mm. Okay. Pinocchio. This is one of the most insane movies I've ever seen. And holy shit, the makeup and hairstyling like makes this movie. Uh, so Pinocchio, one of the big guys here, uh, Mark Coulier. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You will recognize him as the guy who made Ralph Fiennes look like a snake to play Voldemort. <laughs> that was really impressive. Yeah. I'm and Pinocchio does that with almost every character. It is remarkable. So first off, Pinocchio, the, char- the person who plays Pinocchio, looks like he's made of wood. Like, straight up. They made prosthetics, and they developed a new type of rubber mask just to make him look like he's made of wood. And then, like, every single character in here... I remember almost all the characters from Pinocchio because they all had such distinctive looks. There's a lady who looks like a snail. They just make her into a snail. There- there's a, a tuna fish, but he can talk. So, of course, he's a man wearing a tuna fish mask. And that doesn't sound impressive when I say it. But this tuna fish mask is the whole fish. You don't see the man. It's just a dude with a human face. It looks horrifying. But also, exactly like Voldemort. It's incredibly impressive. So here's the weirdest thing. All of these characters I'm bringing up, I'm just bringing up some examples, right? But there's this one... But uh, 
the one that like showed up on screen and I'm like, this is what this is the movie that needs to win whatever category it's in was a character called the Fox. He's just a dude who looks like he's just a dude wearing raggedy clothes. He looks poor and homeless, but like the way in which he looks like a poor, weird, homeless guy, he also looks like vaguely inhuman. He's made up this to the same degree as Glenn Close, but looks straight up like a cartoon. Uh, it's it's very strange. And like at that point, I know I knew like he's not just turning people into animals with weird costumes. He's interpreting these characters in the way that the movie requires and like really making them memorable. Here, I am finding pictures of Pinocchio that I can send to you so you can see what I'm talking about. Do you want to? Do you want to talk a little bit about makeup and hairstyling while I'm while I'm at it? I don't know what you want me to say. I it's uh I think it's an overlooked category for sure. I think like a lot of yeah, a lot of makeup and hairstyling usually comes down to how like a lot of period piece movies, as you can see here, kind of the same with costume design. The the Academy loves those. Personally, I think the more subtle the better. Usually, like if you can do a little with a, a lot with a little, that helps a lot. Yeah, again, like uh, as you said earlier, hillbilly elegy. Glenn Close was literally unrecognizable and it didn't like like I wasn't staring at her being like she looks so weird because they completely screwed up Glenn Close but no she it was like you could you literally like I, I could not tell what they changed or how the hell they did it to make it like that um so yeah pretty impressive Mank eh again um <laughs> Ma Rainey's Black Bottom eh I thought I thought Ma Rainey herself was actually mm-hmm. really well done, but everyone else was like not. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say it was very interesting. Otherwise, yeah, I gotta say, in general, the more subtle, the better. I fully agree. The reason I'm like freaking out as much over Pinocchio is like Pinocchio transcends that to the fact to the point where it's like it's it's not subtle at all. It's I just sent you some pictures. It's extremely unsubtle. Oh wow! And at the same time, within the world it is somehow entirely believable all the time. So like, not only do they go balls to the wall and make the most insane makeup, like costumes, but they're just makeup that they can do. Also, it works in the story in a way that like never, you know, it surprises me because I'll see something on screen and I'll go, wow, that looks weird. But it never surprises me like, wow, that doesn't fit here at all. That's actually like, uh, that's really interesting and, it's cute, but off-putting exactly. at the same time. It's, uh... Well, not exactly, but also, okay. yes. Oh. Yeah, okay. I can see so where you're coming there's, from. Sure. This, is not my, this, this isn't like my, uh, my Jeff Recommends or whatever I just called it because, you know, those are movies that didn't get nominated. But I definitely do have to yeah. say, it is unlikely that we'll do a full episode on Pinocchio. At the same time, I, I mentioned this briefly, but I didn't actually say it explicitly. Pinocchio is my third favorite movie of the move of the year after like I've started watching all these movies and I definitely recommend it. So watch Pinocchio, please, especially like watch it before this so that the entire world ideally can freak out together about Mark Coulier winning best makeup and hairstyling or alternatively so that we can all be extremely upset about Hillbilly Elegy winning, which again Here's the weirdest thing. Hillbilly Elegy is an easy second choice for me. It's just Pinocchio is so far above Pinocchio's better. that like 
I'm usually passionate about maybe one category in the Oscars, like really passionate about it. Uh, last year it was international feature for Parasite. That's why I like lost it when Parasite won Best Picture too. But this year, for me, the category that I'm like most ride or die for is makeup and hairstyling, which I haven't been into since maybe 2010 because that year I was extremely into the movie The Wolfman, which did end up winning it. Sorry, I zoned out for a second. I just said Jeff's uh, secret recommendation, 2010's The Wolfman. All right. Ooh, 2010. Wow. I actually have never heard of it. It's oh, yeah, uh, with Benicio Del Toro. I really like it. It's not a good movie, but I no, really like yeah. it, and it is an Oscar winner. It did win makeup <laughs> and hairstyling. Mm, okay. Best International Feature Film. This tends to be my second favorite category behind animation. Sometimes they switch mm. off. But anyway, I'm going to let you read out the nominees. Sure. Another round. Denmark. Better Days, Hong Kong, Collective from Romania, The Man Who Sold His Skin from Tunisia, and Quo Vadis Aida, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Yeah, from Bosnia, I guess. And Very I did good. not, I've never heard of this country before. But yeah, go for it. Uh, have you seen any of these? No. <laughs> okay, so first thing I'm going to say, we, uh, I have in private, behind the scenes, suggested that we do an episode on another round another round is not named nominated for best picture so it is unlikely we'll get to it before the oscars but we absolutely should still do an episode on another round i love this movie this is like this is probably neck and neck with pinocchio for third favorite movie honestly it's up there at, at this point like rating movies to me this year is very difficult because there's so many that i just like either really love or like don't care about at all Another round is up there. It's so good. So another round, the concept of this movie, there, there's four sort of like disillusioned high school teachers in Denmark that just like, they, they've just been teaching for so long. They're just kind of fall, going through the motions. They're not really very good teachers anymore because they're just sort of like doing stuff and they're going through their own nonsense. So they decide at one of their 40th birthdays, Let's test a hypothesis by some weird philosopher. I think he's a Danish philosopher. I don't remember for sure. His hypothesis was that, that human beings are born with, uh, I believe, 0.05% blood alcohol content too little. Basically meaning if, we main, if they maintain a consistent blood alcohol percentage of like 0.5 or whatever, I think it's 0.05%, they think that that might get them to be better at their jobs and have more fun in life and like just be all around better people. And the thing is, for a while, it kind of works, but it also makes them into alcoholics, which ruins their lives. And so like, it's a really, it's, it's weird. It's a really good movie that's like, the message of it seems like it should be completely anti-alcohol, but it kind of isn't but it's a very strong critique of Danish specifically and more in general kind of European drinking culture. Uh, mm -hmm. And also just a really good movie about four friends going through a midlife crisis. Very good. We are probably going to do an episode on it eventually, possibly. Better Days I have not seen. Collective we talked about, I think it is likely to win the documentary category. I do not believe it's likely to win international feature film. I think another round is going to take it easy. The Man Who Sold His Skin is very interesting. It's actually based on a real story. It's not, it's not a real story. It's just like very vaguely based on one. 
there is an actual person who like he's a tattoo artist and he sold the rights to like his back to a professional artist who like was known for doing tattoo. He, he was an artist, not recognized as a tattoo artist, but recognized as like a modern artist whose stuff was in museums and stuff. And he sold his back to him to just like tattoo. And this man named Tim, he, as part of this deal, he gets paid, but he has to spend like every day for a month, you know, once a year or something in a mm-hmm. museum, like as, as an art piece, because his back is an art piece. That's kind of interesting. Anyway, this movie is about is about a, a Syrian refugee who does something similar. He needs to get to Belgium. So in order to do that, he sells his back to this artist who tattoos a Schengen visa, which is what you would need to get to Belgium, Belgium onto his back and then ships him there as an art piece, as a statement on like, we commodify human beings. And like, it's, it's really good in making that statement. Like it kind of lampoons modern art. It kind of talks about like in, inherent human worth and how people don't really care about that. And like, mm. beyond that, it's also just a very good movie. I definitely recommend. Quo Vadis Aida is my second favorite from this category. It is about the, uh, one of the Yugoslavian wars which I believe current are, are basically all grouped into the Yugoslavian wars, but the Bosnian war specifically. I don't know too much about the Bosnian war, unfortunately. But essentially, Serbian troops were coming through and trying to get rid of Bosnian uh, Muslims, I believe was the case, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Kovada Saida is about Aida. She is a UN translator who works in Srebrenica, I think, a Bosnian city. And that city is currently under siege by Serbian forces. And she, and like, they're going to evacuate and get families somewhere else. But they have way more people than they can actually evacuate. So it's a movie about her trying to get her family to safety. I won't spoil anything, but it does take place during a very brutal war. Definite recommend. All, all of these movies are incredible that I have seen. Unfortunately, I have not seen Better Days, but... I assume it's also really good because this the international feature film shortlist was so strong. I haven't seen all of the movies on there, mm. but like I wouldn't have been upset if any movie that I watched off the shortlist had gotten in here. And five, five of them did. This was an extremely strong category this year. It's going to go to another round, but I wouldn't be sad. I, I would be happy if any of these won it. Cool. So um, let's get you talking about something for a bit. Sure, I. It's like I just haven't seen enough of these movies. I feel I feel like it, this. I mean, it was the same situation last year too. But yeah, anyways, uh, best original score is next. We have. Oh man, I lost it. Yeah. Uh, we got the Five Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul. The Five Bloods. I don't really remember anything specifically. I remember that the the Chadwick Boseman scenes had a more heroic score, which I thought was like an interesting touch, but it wasn't enough to really make the score like good in my opinion. Same thing with Mank. Mank was pretty meh. Minari had a decent score, from what I remember, it was very vibey. Uh, but I think from what I can tell, the definite winner should be Soul here. I love Trent and Atticus. Yeah. The the great beyond like the synths they use. I think they were synths and mm-hmm. just. 
it just really it really made you feel uh like this was the afterlife that makes sense they were like other world otherworldly sounds um mm-hmm. and john Baptiste Baptiste did a great job with the with the jazz performances as well it it was it was a really big part of the movie and added a lot of flavor to it for sure mm-hmm. yeah i mean i agree i think the only thing i would add is this is a category where i don't hate mank i don't think mank is the winner here i think soul should take it but i would say my second pick would probably be mank or minari maybe but i'd have to re-listen to minari yeah it'd be weird if or trenton yeah trenton Atticus, they they got their uh they got their votes split by themselves and then someone like the minority minority score wins or something like that. That would be very unfortunate. Honestly, I kind of, I mean, I want Trent and Atticus to take it, but I want them to share. I want them to give John Batiste a piece of that too. True. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Let's look at the nominees for best original song. We got fight for you from Judas and the black Messiah. Hear my voice from the trial of the Chicago seven. Husevik from Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, EOC, Scene from The Life Ahead, Speak Now from One Night in Miami, and you know what we don't have? Wuhan Flu, which was shortlisted from Borat 2. It should (laughs) have been here. That would have been my easy number one pick. It would have been hilarious. Obama was a traitor. America, he hated her. He belong inside the jails. I ain't lying, it ain't no jokes. Corona is a liberal hoax. Corona is a liberal hoax. Obama, what we gotta do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Let's hear it. Over there, she's over there. She's over there to the right. Yes. Yeah, I don't remember any of these songs, I'm not gonna lie. Okay. So I'm gonna hijack this then. Husavik, I guess, should win. It's not that good, but it's the only one that, as far as I'm concerned, even qualifies. I mm. hate the best original song category because the best original song category much too often goes to uh, credit songs. Oh, it's no. not a Disney thing. It's credit songs. Fight for You. Great song. It's in the credits. Doesn't mean anything to the movie. Hear My Voice. I think it's in the credits. I don't even know. I only know that song is like, a movie that was released as a single, or a song that was released as a single. EOC, scene, starts the moment the credits go. Speak now. That's a credit song. I don't like that. Best original song ought to go to a, mo- a song that was used in the movie and meant something in the movie. The only one that even fits those criteria, and as far as I'm concerned, is even eligible from this list, is Husevik which is the worst song in Eurovision because Husevik is the song that they play at the very end. It's like supposed to be the big triumphant moment where they, they, they play at the end of Eurovision. They've qualified even for the finals and then they disqualify themselves by playing a song that one of the characters has been working on for a long time, but like was too embarrassed to share with anybody. And it's fine. It's just a regular ass song. Eurovision Song Contest is defined by like really out there kind of like, silly pop songs 
And the movie has a lot of those, none of which were even shortlisted. Like, as far as I'm concerned, if, I, if it were up to me, Eurovision Song Contest would have three entries on Best Original Song. One of them would be Husevik, which would be the obvious loser. One of them would be Double Trouble, which, as far as I'm concerned, ought to be the winner, which is the song they actually perform for Eurovision in the movie. And the last one would be Ya Ya Ding Dong, which is a song that, like, they hate performing. It's just, like, it's one big, long dick joke done as Humpa music. From <laughs> Like, Humpa is a, it's, it's not exactly Humpa music, but Humpa is a Finnish style of folk music. And it's done kind mm-hmm. of in that style. And, like, they'll play at their local bar, but, like, they're not well-liked in their own... The the main characters are not well-liked in their own city. And the only thing that people at the bar want to hear ever is the song Ya Ya Ding Dong, which is just one big, long dick joke. And they just play that all night long every time they play in the bar. And, like, honestly, Ya Ya Ding Dong's kind of a bop. It's going to be our ex- It's going to be our outro music for this episode. Perfect. Do you have thoughts yeah, at yeah, all on best original nope. song? <laughs> I don't remember any of these. Then let's get uh, out I'm, of here. I'm, it's too bad for Mulan. I think Mulan could have easily won this, probably if if it was a musical. Yeah, because I because um, it did actually have a song that was nominated. Can you guess where yeah. that song shows up in the movie? At the credits. Yep, it's not even eligible as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I hate this category. I hate this category a lot because I want to like it. The categories uh, it is too bad. The categories in the Oscars that I hate are the ones that I want to like the most. It's just cuz I have the strongest thoughts, I guess. Let's get to the big categories. We're an hour and a half in. Yeah. Let's finish strong. Best director. We got Lee Isaac Chung, Minari. We got Emerald Fennel with Promising Young Woman. We got David Fincher for Mank. We got Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round. Dark horse pick here. And we have, if I may be so bold, Academy Award winner for Best Director, Chloe Zhao, Nomadland. Ooh. Yeah, I, I think uh, Chloe Zhao just has so much going for her uh, coming into this. I don't think she should win, but also I don't know these other movies well enough to really argue with that. I think uh, Lee Isaac Chung did a good, a decent job with Minari, but it's just like, Chloe Zhao, uh, I think they were going for a similar type of movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. But And uh, personally, I think Minari was better, but Chloe Zhao's style is uh, very much catching Hollywood by, um, not surprise, but it, it's it's picked up a lot of momentum and people really like like the style for those that, have, or those that are new to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she has a lot of momentum here. I, I would probably say Chloe Zhao. I don't know the other two. Thomas Vinterberg, Emerald Finelli, Finel. I'm surprised. I'm actually kind of surprised they're nominated just because I haven't heard of them before. But like, I think that's awesome. Well, Emerald Finel, this is her first movie. Oh, well, that's really good then. Mm. Damn. David Fincher. Oh, man, dude. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I love David Fincher is one of the best directors of all time. I wish so badly that I could cheer for him here. I think, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorite directors. And it, it hurts for me to say that he really should not win this year. And it sucks that I have to do that. But I'm sorry, David, but it just was not a good movie once again. I have something that I say every now and then, which is I'm already wrong. So I can just keep arguing. I am 100% certain Chloe Zhao is going to win. Therefore, I am rooting for Emerald Fennell and is my second place, Thomas Vinterberg. Thomas Vinterberg? I just love that movie. Like, Another Round, I love it a lot. And, like, Thomas Vinterberg directs it really well. Is it 
anything special? That's hard to say from a directing perspective, but I think yes. Like I think it's I think that of these movies, I remember the visual style and like I, I more importantly, like I remember the visuals of that movie probably better than any of the other movies that are in this director lineup. And like visuals are definitely a big part of directing. Like he I mean it's it's not entirely a cinematography thing because I don't think another round does anything necessarily inter- necessarily special with cinematography, but like the way everything is put together, I am very glad Thomas Vinterberg is on this list. He would be my second place choice. Emerald Fennell directed the best movie on this list. And like she directed it really, really, really freaking well. I mm. really hope Emerald Fennell takes it. She would be my pick. And it's unfortunate she's going to lose to Chloe Zhao. But I do <laughs> like that Chloe Zhao will be the second woman ever to get this award. So that's cool. True, yeah. It's, uh, I guess either way, it's kind of a win-win mm-hmm. for society. <laughs> um, what's next? Best actor. This is stacked. You ready to hear these nominees, Pierre? Let's hear it. We got Riz Ahmed in The Sound of Metal. We have Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Anthony Hopkins for The Fobbit. Gary Oldman for Mank. And Stephen Yoon from Minari. What do you think, Pierre? Ooh. I really like... Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I think Chadwick... I, I kind of want Chadwick Boseman to win just for the, the po- posthumous... Uh, posthumous win basically and not saying that like that his performance was like not doesn't deserve it. it it actually is really really up here i think it's gonna be tough competition though i think steven yoon was really amazing at minari gary okay gary oldman <laughs> gary oldman i think is always puts in a really good effort i don't think he should win this year though um even though honestly his mank wasn't terrible i liked his mank mm-hmm. i think it was just the writing really let him down there and he didn't personally bring anything i thought that really special to the role either i guess Anthony, okay, honestly, overall, this is a really interesting year because we have Riz Ahmed, who is apparently the first uh, Muslim-American to uh, I be don't nominated think he's American. for Best Actor. I believe he's British, but he's oh, the first just, Muslim. Oh, Muslim, okay. Chadwick Boseman, who unfortunately passed away. Anthony Hopkins, who is apparently the oldest nominee for this award. Beating the last nominee by four years. Christopher Plummer, right? It was actually Richard Farnsworth, I believe. Oh, never mind, okay. Gary Oldman, who has not won an Oscar yet, right? I don't know. Um, I think he has. I'm I'm gonna check. But anyway, keep keep talking. I don't believe he has, despite his amazing streak or amazing, so many amazing roles he's done. And Steven Yeun, who is the first uh, Asian American actor to be nominated, I think, right for this mm-hmm. role. So, yeah, very actually very interesting competition. Um, especially with Riz Ahmed. Honestly, I've seen him this guy in a couple roles, and I thought he was really boring in them. Um, so it's really cool that he's apparently actually a really good actor and no one no one had any idea until now. I'm going to jump That's in awesome. really quick. Gary Oldman has won an Academy Award. Oh, never mind. Okay. I take it back. Uh, yeah, I my heart says Chadwick Boseman. Um, my head says maybe Steven Yeun. I just need to see Anthony Hopkins in the role. I think Riz Ahmed's kind of screwed just because like, even if he was better than Chadwick Boseman, I don't see him beating Chadwick Boseman out just due to uh, the publicity, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which does have a, I think does have a factor in, 
in who wins the award. I think Steven Yoon has a better chance because of the Asian influence, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, I do. I honestly do want Chadwick Boseman to win this. So I also want Chadwick Boseman to win this. And what I am very glad about is his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was one of, if not his best performance of his career. Mm-hmm. So luckily I say that not just because I want him to win an award, you know, now that he's unfortunately passed. I think this was actually one of his best performances ever, and he is my pick here. The thing is, this is such a strong year because if it wasn't, if Chadwick Boseman wasn't even on this list, I would have a three way tie, basically. Riz Ahmed is incredible. As soon as I saw The Sound of Metal, I'm like, he needs to win it. Then I saw The Father, and I was like, this is a career best performance from Anthony Hopkins. Steven Yoon? Yeah. Honestly? Of those of the top four, I would put him last. He's really good, but as far as I'm concerned, if I had to rank these, I would say Chadwick Boseman, Riz Ahmed, and Anthony Hopkins, probably in that order. Though I would might though I might switch around Riz Ahmed and Anthony Hopkins, and they are all incredibly close. After that, I have Stephen Yoon, who's only the only thing that he is missing here. I think he's very very good in the role. I think his role is ultimately for the movie. I think it's too much of a supporting role. And like, he just doesn't have enough to do Mm. because I think he's very good. But as much as Alan Kim is billed as a supporting role, he's kind of the heart of the movie where Steven Yoon is supposed to be the lead actor, but he ends up kind of off screen a lot more than I would need him to be to compete with those other three. That's fair. Okay. And Gary Oldman puts in a great performance as Mank. <laughs> Can we put that? I'm glad we got that in there. Good for Gary Oldman. Let's talk about Best Actress. This is unfortunately not as strong a category, I don't think. Uh, that's that's not fair for me to say before I've read off the nominees. The nominees for Best Actress, we got Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. She played Ma Rainey. That's the name of the, that's the, name of the movie. <laughs> we got Andra Day. For the United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for her role in Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for her role in Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for her role in Promising Young Woman. What do you think? Oh, uh, yeah, I haven't seen. I think most of these movies, but I will say I actually loved Viola Davis's performance a lot, like a lot, a lot. I thought it was really, really good. I can't say the same for Frances McDormand. I thought she was pretty meh, honestly, even though I, I I think she usually puts in a great performance. Haven't seen these other movies, so I'm going to put it all on Viola Davis. And I gen- but like either way, I, even though I haven't seen these, I can confidently say she is uh, one of the favorites, if not the favorite going into this. Um, really, really great performance. Uh, one of the best I've seen this year, 100% off the top of my head. So... I agree, Viola Davis. I did. I, I'm I'm keeping track of all these movies that I've been watching on a spreadsheet, and I looked over at like my ratings earlier today, and it turns out that according to my ratings, just a numbers thing here, Vanessa Kirby is apparently my favorite. So, spoiler candidate Vanessa Kirby. I think I think it would be super. I think it would be pretty cool to see her. She did a very good job in Pieces of a Woman. Viola Davis is a much more dynamic performance, I would say, which does not necessarily like that's not the only the only like 
thing to judge a performance on. But I think that Viola Davis is like electric in this role. She's great. Vanessa Kirby is a lot more subdued. Also very good. Frances McDormand in Nomadland, I thought she put in an amazing performance. Because of the way that Nomadland is, I actually thought she ended up being the weakest part of the movie, which is a weird thing to say because I do believe she put in a great mm. performance. Just that the way the, per- the movie was structured, it honestly just should have been anyone else. It's the only movie I've ever seen Frances McDormand in where her performance suffers not because of anything she did, but literally just because she's Frances McDormand. Yeah. Carrie Mulligan is very good and promising young woman. I know that some people are extremely ride or die for Carrie Mulligan. I thought she was good, but I do not think that the best part of promising young woman is the acting. Like it's all good. It's, it's as good as it needs to be. No one is bad in that movie. The stars of promising young woman are the directing and the script. And unfortunately, Carrie Mulligan is neither of those things. I did not like Andrew Day in the United States versus Billy Holiday. I didn't like that movie. I didn't think she made it much better. Cool. I've never heard of Andrew Day. Uh, She is a singer. This may have been her first acting performance. Her last role was Cars 3. (laughs) Oh. Sorry. (laughs) I don't know why I find that funny. Um, That's cool that she's been nominated, though. Like, basically one of her first... uh... First roles, first big role for sure, I think, right? For what it's worth, it is very cool she got nominated, and I'm very happy for her. Yeah. Additionally, she actually wasn't really horrible in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Mm -hmm. I just don't think she was, like, anything special. And, again, I personally did not like her. Mm -hmm. I can recognize that, like, me liking someone and someone being good are different things, though. Yeah, that's fair. Cool. Moving on, this is our last one. This is going to be our last category. So here we're going to round out our two-hour-long episode. Dang it. <laughs> With uh, Best Picture, let's. Uh, you want to list off the nominees? We've got The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and the trial of the Chicago Seven. Pierre, what's your favorite? Oh, oh man. I haven't seen a lot of these movies. Not gonna lie though, if I had to guess which one would win, it's gonna be Nomadland or Judas and the Black Messiah. From what I've heard, like everything I've heard about Judas and the Black Messiah just sounds like it's it it would fit what the Academy is going for. Nomadland though is a powerhouse. I don't want Nomadland to win though. I'm going to be 100% honest. It should not win. But it, it is definitely a favorite going into this. I don't think Sound of Metal has a chance. I think just because it's not, doesn't sound mainstream enough to make it. See, you say that, but you just said Nomadland. <laughs> well, well, Nomad, because Nomadland just has a lot of hype now, right? Is the thing. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's not even, it, it kind of surpasses the the mainstream aspect of it with, with all the hype, especially like at, after winning the Golden Globe. I don't know. I heard that's not necessarily a good sign for a movie to win the Oscars. The Golden Globe, the Golden Globe isn't necessarily a good sign, but Nomadland has won more than just the Golden Globe. Yeah, so it just has a lot of momentum and uh, yeah, a unique style. 
but yeah, so I'd say Nomadland, Judas and the Black Messiah, maybe The Father as well. I don't know much about it, but it sounds like it's a movie that the Academy would like. I think Manx, I don't think there's a way Manx wins. Minari, I don't think so either. Uh, I think it, unfortunately, I think it might be kind of put in the shadow of Parasite for mm-hmm. for some reasons. And uh, it, it, I think it's going to get clouded judgment there. Trial of Chicago 7 is just a very mad movie. I don't see, actually, ooh, now that I think about it, <laughs> well, meh meh all right movies are are kind of what the academy likes to see so i i could actually travel the chicago seven has a chance here i don't think it should win either but it's looking all right yeah i don't have a favorite personally though this is a category that weirdly enough i am not super passionate about this year i do like i have some thoughts I would really think it would be cool if it was The Father because I like that movie a lot. But I do not think The Father will win, mostly for the same reason that I'm pretty sure Ma Rainey's Black Bottom didn't even get nominated. It's a play. And like, it's too much of a play. Like The Father is, The Father does interesting things with the medium of film that make it so that the way The Father is done as a movie is different from the way it would have to be done as a play but it still plays out like a play. And I really think that the Academy is not going to go for that for best picture. Mank, I could I could see Mank doing really well here. I don't know that it will. I, I mean, I think of that as kind of the same as The Trial of the Chicago 7. I can see either of those movies potentially winning. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're good enough to do that, but they could. Okay. Sound of Metal is... You're not wrong. It is too indie and it unfortunately does not have anywhere near the momentum that Nomadland does. I am honestly shocked that it got nominated for Best Picture. I'm happy about that, but I don't think it progresses past Best Picture. Mm. Big three here, as far as I'm concerned, are probably Nomadland, Minari, and Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas and the Black Messiah is, of those three, the closest to like a Best Picture winner that I can think of. Uh, like it's a big entertaining movie that a bunch of people would enjoy seeing and also is really good to, you know, industry people and people who aren't, who don't just go to mainstream movies, I guess. Yeah. Minari is good. And I do think it has a lot of hype behind it, but I think you're right that it's going to get lost in the shadow of Parasite because it's not as good as Parasite. And it should not be compared to Parasite because they are incredibly different movies that have actually nothing in common except that they're both in Korean. And that is extremely unusual for a best picture. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, this is how the Academy will see things. Because it's not, it's also, I think, a publicity thing. Um, if you have mm-hmm. so the first Korean language movies winning back to back, it's it's going to shed a weird light on the Academy, unfortunately. So I just... Even though I think Minari's better than quite a few of the movies here, I don't think it. I just don't see it winning at all. There's like, there's no way. I I think that the winner is Nomadland. I think that Nomadland, like, it's not guaranteed by any means. But until about a month ago, I would have thought Nomadland couldn't make it because it's too indie. But like, clearly not because it's been winning awards left and right. So I think it could do it. My personal pick is Promising Young Woman. Oh, nice. I think Promising Young Woman is the Mm. one that ought to take it. I would be ecstatic if Promising Young Woman won. The thing is, like, I wouldn't be ecstatic to the level of, like, Parasite is last year because I really am not as passionate about any of these movies 
as I wish I was. Promising Young Woman is very good. I think it is possibly the best movie. It's, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. It deserves to be on this list. I think it should win this list. But at the same time, like, I don't necessarily think Promising Young Woman, if it wins, is a movie for the ages. It's, it's very good, and I would recommend it to everybody. It's not something with par- like with Parasite, where I think if Parasite wins, people will remember this for decades. I think if Promising Young Woman wins, it's going to be a victory for like people that have my taste in mu- in movies for the next five or ten years. But that's about it. <laughs> well, there it is. That is all of the nominees for everything except the shorts. Is there any final thoughts you wanted to say? Let's let's keep it short. But what do you think overall of these nominees? If you if we haven't already said that, it's been two hours. I can't remember. I've all I've learned is I really need to watch Promising Young Woman, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Father, and Sound of Metal because I I it seems for just from what I can tell that these movies are better than everything I've seen, and this is maybe why I'm not so excited for the Oscars this year. But yeah, it is good that you say that because the next episode that we are recording is the father. People people won't hear that next after this episode because we've got some coming out before it. But that is the next one that we're recording. After that, in some order, we are going to talk about Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Judas and the Black Messiah. Hey. I'm not going to give away what that order is yet because we haven't decided, but it will happen. So get ready for that because I'm excited to talk about all those movies, honestly. All right. So that has been our first Oscars episode Probably of two. <laughs> we will see. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, Pierre, what's the last word? Oscar. Who wants to hear Eurovision song? Oh!